Today's scripture is from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. May God add his blessing to his word. Thank you, Marilyn. Hey, everybody. Uh, I was so glad to get to be a part of of some of the Thanksgiving bag giveaway yesterday. And uh, I tell you, I was just rejoicing. Some of you were there, and and maybe you felt the same way. But, you know, not only did, uh, you know, a lot of bags get given away, but I I was really looking at you. And, you know, it was just the way you were serving with so much, with love and caring and kindness. And it was just amazing uh, to be a part of that because I, I know that, you know, it's not just about the food. And we always say that about our pantry. It's not, the food is not the main thing. It's the connections. It's the personal relationships. It's the people that are the main thing. And it's just one more reason why I love this church. Let's pray. Dear God, what a great thing you gave us the opportunity yesterday to show a little love to our community and, um, Lord, we pray that you will let it shine. Let, it, let the light of your love shine into those hearts. Um, and we, Lord, we ask you to give us more opportunities to get to know our pantry patrons personally uh, so that we can be a blessing to each other. And now, Lord, we ask you to open our minds and hearts so that we may receive your word for us today. Lord Jesus, we pray in your saving name. Amen. I remember I was 12 years old and uh, laying on the floor in our living room, probably with my, you know, hands under my chin and looking up at the TV. And I watched as Neil Armstrong took his one small step onto the surface of the moon. And when Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins were brought safely back home, NASA's mission to the moon and back was accomplished. A mission. A mission is what you set out to do. It's the business that you're in. Uh, Your mission is the purpose that drives your activity. So this is the last Sunday in our series called Love My Church. And today we are looking at our church's mission. At the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus gathers his core group of followers together, and he says, okay, I'm going to be leaving, but here's your mission. Here's what I need you to do. So let's open our Bibles to that passage Marilyn read for us a little bit ago. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start with verse 16. Pew Bible, page 1,000. And, of course, maybe you've got it on your phone or you brought your own Bible. That was even better. Now, when someone sends you on a mission, you are then commissioned, right? Isn't that how it works? 
And Jesus sends his disciples on a great mission. So we call this passage the Great Commission. Every Jesus follower needs to know these words, where to find them, be familiar with them. So let me set the stage. There are 11 disciples now. Uh, Judas Iscariot, of course, is dead. Uh, Jesus was already been crucified, rose from the grave, and that was in Judea in the south region. Now the resurrected Lord uh, meets them in, the Ga- in Galilee in the north country at a mountain. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, we don't know which mountain it was. But there are clues that it may have been the same place where Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount. Wouldn't that be interesting? Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, they're Jews. They, they know you only worship God. And so if they worship Jesus, they must believe that not only is he human, but he is also divine, that he is God and worthy of their worship. And then it says, this interesting thing here, I I almost wouldn't expect it. It says, but some doubted. Why would Matthew include that in his gospel? I don't know why exactly, but this lets me know that disciples, those disciples are a lot like me. Believing, worshiping, following, and still dealing with some questions I can't answer. Still wondering about, how does this work? Well, as we read on, we realize that when the disciples first see Jesus, he must have been still at a distance. So maybe some of their doubt was, is that really him? And some are worshiping and saying, yeah, and some are going, I don't, I can't really tell. But then in verse 18, he comes closer. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, Jesus is announcing that his reign has begun. It will take time for the forces of evil and and sin to be fully vanquished, but his final victory is certain. And then in verses 19 and 20, we have really these two verses, what we call the Great Commission. Verse 19 starts with the word, therefore. So it's looking back to what, to what was earlier when Jesus said, uh, because I have given, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, here's what I need you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples. Do you notice that just, this is not a suggestion that Jesus has? Do you get that? That uh, it's like, it's, it's not about, if you have time, uh, if it's not too much trouble, if it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. No, this, this is his parting command. The one thing we must not fail to do. And what are we commissioned to do? It says, make disciples. Make disciples. Now, I've confessed to you that I've never quite felt right about the word make there. You know, it sounds like, you know, we're trying to force people into becoming uh, disciples of Jesus against their will, which is, which is not at all what is meant here. But sometimes that, that word make disciples seems a little forced 
to me? Well, I looked it up in the original Greek, and interestingly, it's not two words there, make disciples. It's one word, disciple. But instead of being a noun, a person who is a disciple, it's a verb. So it's like saying, Jesus said to him, just as I discipled you, now you go out and disciple others to me. And that's Jesus' strategy right there. I mean, that's it. You know, he didn't have a giant organization and saying, okay, this is our, our, you know, multi-century strategy. He just said, disciple people. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Um, and, and here it is. It's the heart of today's message. So I encourage you to write this down, uh, take a photo of it, whatever you want to do. Discipling people has two stages. Stage one, we disciple them into a new life in Jesus. Stage two, we disciple them in learning to live out this new life. Now, I have found that it's a lot easier for churches and pastors to put at least 90% of their effort into stage two because we're all here and we're all learning about this new life. But putting 90% of our effort into stage two and only 10% or less into stage one is a mistake that dying churches make. Dying churches have hardly any people doing stage one. Healthy, growing churches have many people, plenty of people, actively engaged in stage one. I remember uh, when I lived in Lincoln, a couple that had recently moved there, uh, and uh, they didn't go to church, didn't want to go to church. But he and I had um, known each other a little bit when we were in college, and so I took the initiative, and, and uh, we became friends. And uh, I remember I ate at their house a number of times, sometimes for lunch, sometimes Trish and I would go there for dinner. Um, and he and I played golf together. And I don't really play golf much anymore, but with him, yeah, we played golf. They, they lived right next to a course, and so it was pretty easy. And, and uh, you know, we talked about all kinds of things. He lived a very interesting life. Um, and, um, and occasionally we talk about spiritual things. We talk about God. Um, and I kept praying for them, and they knew I prayed for them. Um, he was raised Lutheran, but by then he was pretty much agnostic. She grew up Muslim in another country. And, uh, a, but anyway, a couple years into our friendship, they said this to me. They said, Steve, would you teach us to be Christians? And uh, I was surprised. You know, apparently God was more at work in their hearts than I realized. And, and yet, as I look back on our friendship, I can say, well, yeah, in, in small ways, I, I guess I'd been discipling them, uh, mostly by example, I suppose, by caring for them, by praying for them, conversations. Well, part of this story is that he had been battling a very serious disease and shortly after they asked me to teach them to be Christians, his health took a dive. I remember I was with them in their house two weeks later 
on the day he died. You know, I, I, I look back and I, th- I think he had the faith kind of like the, the thief that was on the cross next to Jesus. And, and the thief just simply says, Jesus, please remember me. <laughs> you know, when you come in your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus says, yeah. Today, you're going to be in paradise with me. And that was the scripture that I read at my friend's funeral. His wife is now an active follower of Christ, and I still hear from her from time to time. We, we talked on the phone once this fall. Jesus' great commission is the source of Faith Westwood's mission statement that you see when you walk in the east entrance up above on the wall. Uh, here it is. Let's say it together, shall we? Making disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's uh, humor me here. Let's say it like we are a team ready to take the field, okay? Making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. I'm reading a book now by a woman who, when she was in her 30s, was about as far away from faith in Jesus as a person could get. In her mind, Christians are what's wrong with this world. Well, she wrote a a piece that uh, appeared in the newspaper. I'm not exactly sure what it was all about. But uh, she received uh, many hateful responses from Christians. (laughs) Nasty letters. But one letter intrigued her. It asked thoughtful questions. It invited a follow-up conversation. But she looked at that. She just didn't know what to do with it. It just sat around on her desk for a while. Finally, she threw it away. Well, a week, a week later, she grabbed that letter out of the wastebasket and called the number that was left there on, in the letter. Well, she figured, well, it, you know, this will at least be part of my research. She was planning to do a book uh, about how dangerous Christianity is and Christians are. And, and of course, the, the, the couple that she reached, they said, well, we'd meet you in a restaurant if you would feel unsafe in our home. She said, no, I would feel fine. Uh, going to your house. So uh, she went to the home of this couple, Ken and Floyd. They were in their 70s, and it did, it did not feel dangerous at all. She felt very safe with them. And the three of them shared a simple meal and good conversation. And here's what she remembers most from that day. She says, The most memorable part of this meal was Ken's prayer before the meal. She said, I had never heard anyone pray to God as if he cared, as if he listened, as if he answered. And that marked the beginning of a friendship between the three of them, and it led to her surprising and strange story of becoming a disciple of Jesus herself. Discipling people into a life with Jesus is not an event. It's not a class. It is a process, and it is a personal process. It's part of a relationship. And just so you know, very few people who don't already believe in Jesus are going to show up here on a Sunday morning, right? We know that, right? I mean, a few, I'm sure, occasionally. But not very many. And that's why Jesus said, go. Just get going. 
Uh, he wants us to, to be out there, to befriend people who don't yet know him. And then what do we do? What do we do? How do we disciple people into a new life in Christ? Well, you see it every Sunday on our banners. It's our, our, our five simple blessed practices and how to be a blessed friend. Be a friend who, is, who begins by praying for them and pray for yourself in that friendship. Be a friend who listens to them with care. Be a friend who eats with them. You know, go have lunch, have coffee. Be a friend who serves them in love. Be a friend, and we cannot leave this part out, who shares your story. Now, notice what it does not say there. It does not say, be a friend who argues theology. Be a friend who debates politics with them. They'll love that. It does not say, be a friend who points out all their sins so they know what they're doing wrong. But if you do these five blessed practices, I believe Jesus will shine through you. And eventually, in many cases, not every case, but in, in many cases, your friend will at least become curious. You see, the first step a person takes in, in, in if they're ever going to become a believer and follower of Jesus, the first step they're going to take is to trust someone who already is a believer and follower. And that's you. And if you're praying for them and listening to them and eating with them and serving them, then trust develops. And chances are good that they're probably going to want to hear part of your story. They're going to be open to it. That's, that's what it means to be a blessed friend. And I want, to, I want to add this. You don't have to be a blessed friend all on your own. Um, you can invite people here from Faith Westwood to be a part of that same friendship that you have. Introduce them. Um, and Faith Westwood is, is interested in being a friend of, of uh, a bit, supporting you and being a blessed friend in other ways. Uh, a friend of mine here in, in Omaha is not a churchgoer. Uh, I've, we've known each other, I don't know, seven, eight years. And uh, this year, after all these years, this year, he asked me, he said, Steve, could, could I have a Bible? And so I said, Sure. And so I got one of the Bibles that's there in the foyer that we give away. And uh, I gave it to him, and I wanted him to know that this was a gift from our church to him. And he, he really appreciated that. And over the summer, he uh, started a project. I don't know what inspired him to do this, but he started a project to give away school backpacks to hundreds of children where he lives in North Omaha. And so I approached the Blessed Friends leadership team and asked if, would you consider uh, supporting my friend's project and, you know, maybe paying to, for some of the backpacks that he wants to give away um, and use our Blessed Friends fund to do that. I said, any amount would be welcome. And uh, the team said, sure, we want to be a part of that and uh, made a gift from the Blessed Friends fund. I mean, I, I'm sure they thought it was a worthy project, but also... They, they would see it as an investment 
in my friendship with him. And that, that's why we use the Bless Friends Fund. And again, he was so thankful. You see, one of the ways this church wants to partner with you and your blessed friendships is by using that Bless Friends Fund like this. Uh, your friend has a death in the family and needs uh, help paying for airfare to get to the funeral. Make a request. Your friend could use help uh, paying for part of a car repair so they can get to work. Make a request. Your friend needs a little extra to buy a clarinet for their fifth grader so she can be in band. Make a request. Now, there are only three requirements uh, for using the Blessed Friends Fund. Uh, one is that your, your friend does not have a church of their own. Two, they live locally. And three, you're praying for them. So the bar's not very high, right? Uh, that's all you ought to do. And, and I would love to see several uh, requests come in yet this year. So be thinking about it. Uh, contact our missions director, Russ Tompkins, who is also our worship host today, and let him know. Say, what do you think of my idea? Don't, don't be shy. Just be caring, be creative, be generous, because sometimes that's all it takes to spark someone's curiosity. Methodist founder John Wesley was famous for saying, the world is my parish. Today we might say it this way, the world is my mission field. And that's also based on, on the Great Commission. In, in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus is telling them to, to go to places where people don't look like them. Go to places where people don't speak the same language as them. That's the mission. Go to all nations. Before I, before I came here to Faith Westwood, um, a family started worshiping here. Uh, Jay and Susan were really impressed by one specific thing at this church, and that is that you, that you had a mission offering every Sunday. They go, wow, that is really cool. And so they and their kids made Faith Westwood their church home. Not long after that, God impressed on Jay and Susan that they could really make a difference for God's kingdom if Jay served as a missionary pilot in Africa. So they did. Family moved halfway across the world, and uh, the, the Faith Westwood sent them mission support for many years until they finally retired. Now, why did we do that? What, what, what do we care what happens in Uganda? Well, we care because Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Currently, we don't have a missionary in another country that we are supporting. Um, I wish we did, and I'm sure at some point we will again. But we are partnering with uh, Pastor Juan Carlos Veloso and his wife Marite uh, as they are launching the new church called Iglesia Comunitaria in South Omaha. The people they are reaching come from several Latin American countries. Last week, Juan Carlos was here for a monthly pastor's uh, prayer meeting that I host. And uh, 
we packed up his vehicle with a mountain of clothes that you had donated for their clothing closet. And this is a really important ministry for them because not only does it meet a need in the community, but it also gives them an opportunity to meet more people and to develop more relationships. Now, I need to ask an important question. How are we at Faith Westwood doing on stage one of making disciples? That is, discipling people into a new life in Jesus. How are we doing in stage one? I'd say we're a lot like the Husker football team this season. We see encouraging signs. We're taking steps in the right direction. But we have very few victories to show for it. And we should not be satisfied. We should not be satisfied. Most of our new members uh, are transferring in from some other church here in town or wherever they lived before. And we welcome that. We love that. People transferring, making this their church home. But I want to get even more people who, they're not churchgoers now at all. They're not sure what they believe about God or Jesus. And, and, and if that's going to happen, that begins with you and me. Discipling people that we know or people that we come to know. Being a blessed friend. You know, in my 11 and a half years here, uh, I have only baptized a handful of adults. And I'm eager for more. I picture the day when we see many of our friends becoming curious and putting their faith in Christ. I picture the day when we see dozens of people baptized. And when, I, and when we baptize, you know, I repeat the words that Jesus said right there in verse 19. He says to baptize them what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Stage one of discipling people into a life with Jesus culminates in baptism or in some cases reaffirming their baptism. Stage two then is teaching them to live out this new life. And that's what verse 20 starts out saying. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And if the mountain of the Great Commission is the same place where Jesus gave his sermon on the mount, then the disciples must have had those commands of Jesus ringing in their ears. Be reconciled. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Forgive others. Do not worry. Seek first the kingdom. Do not judge. Those are just a few of the commands that he wants us to obey. And then Jesus adds this promise. Excuse me. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, whenever you're discipling people, he's saying that you're not doing it alone. He's going to be with you every step of the way. He's with you in every situation. He's with you in every conversation. And he says, Surely... 
meaning you can count on this. You can count on me. Surely I am with you always, every day, every hour. Today, I'm, I'm not asking you to be a street corner preacher. I, I'm not interested in overbearing Bible bangers. I'm looking for imperfect people who imperfectly follow Jesus and imperfectly love God and imperfectly love their neighbor. You're the ones that Jesus is commissioning. It's you and me. And I am passionate about this. I'm passionate because this is the only plan Jesus left us. This is it. Will you join me? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I confess that it's easy for me to just go to church, go to group, do my little serving bit, but I don't always see the big picture of your mission. So, Lord, awaken me to your great commission. Lord, I don't know that I'm ready for it, but I'm willing to say use me to disciple others to come to know you and love you for themselves. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to use me, knowing that I'm going to fail, I'm going to be, make my feeble and flawed attempts. But, Lord, I ask you to give me that confidence that you are surely with me every day as I seek to be a blessed friend with those who who haven't found you yet. Jesus, you are the hope of the world. You are the Savior, and I accept your mission. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.